delight to be with you folk here again on this Lord's Day evening. Pray that God will encourage us as we consider His Word. Turn into the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and chapter 73. We've already sung um, from the Psalter uh, verses that uh, uh, come from uh, my text tonight. Psalm 73, we'll be looking at verses 25 through 26. And if I had a title, it would be All That We Need. All That We Need. Verses you probably know well. Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The remedy for all ills in life is found in knowing the triune God. We've sung already, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. It's hard to speak of the Father without speaking of the Son, speaking of the Son without speaking of the Spirit. And I believe my text applies to all three persons. We look away from ourselves, we look away from the circumstances which surround us, and we look to the Father through the Son by the aid of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we find our greatest joy, comfort, peace, and contentment that we can ever know. Psalm 73 is a passage that helps us rest our all in the Lord God who made heaven and earth. The author of the psalm is Asaph. That's what it says at the beginning, doesn't it? A psalm of Asaph. I have a friend, I heard him preach a sermon once from one of the Psalms of Asaph, and he didn't pay attention to that heading, and he preached the entire psalm and kept referring to David said, David said, and David said. We sometimes fall into that trap, don't we, and think that David wrote all the psalms, but he didn't. I think Moses wrote Psalm 90, but Asaph wrote several psalms. Twelve psalms are attributed to him, Psalm 50, and then Psalm 73 through 83. Who was Asaph? He was a Levite appointed by David as one of the chief musicians. First Chronicles 15, 16, you find that. So he was a gifted singer. He was a musician. But he was also one of the holy men of old that penned portions of holy scripture under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. When you read this psalm, you see that Asaph was struggling with a problem. As he looked about, he saw the wicked prospering and the righteous languishing. The ungodly seemed to be the very picture of serenity in good health and happy. But the godly had great struggles, and he even envied the wicked. But then realized when he went into the sanctuary of God what their final destiny was. And so he began to reflect 
on the goodness of God to his children, and he envied them no more. And in the midst of this inward struggle, this Levite singer made this outstanding confession. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. We have in the ESV, it's really my, my flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So when he looked in heaven and on earth, he realized that his greatest desire was for God himself. He found true satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Oh, dear friends, knowing God is better than anything else. If you know anything about John Newton's hymn, you know that he wrote most of them based on certain portions of Scripture. Well, here's what he wrote as he thought about Psalm 73, verse 25. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds and sweet flowers have lost all their sweetness with me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in Him, December's as pleasant as May. I think John Newton caught the essence of this scripture. Well, let's examine these inspired words of Asaph this evening. And I trust they will help us to see that all we need is found in our great God. So let's begin with the question that the psalmist asked, to which he already knew the answer. It's a rhetorical question, and it is this. Whom have I in heaven but you? He is pondering things. And so his question to himself and to God as he reflects in prayer, Whom have I in heaven but you? Well, we know the answer to that question, don't we? And the answer is no one. Our hope, our refuge, our help, our only hope, our only refuge, our only help is in Jehovah Jesus. There's no one else in all of heaven. We have no one else to represent us, to love us, to save us than the triune God. We have no one and we need no one other than Almighty God. There are others in heaven. I was reading a passage of scripture yesterday. Gabriel is mentioned. Michael is mentioned. The redeemed of all the ages are there. Abraham and Mary are there. But they're not there for us. They have nothing to render to us. They can't help us. So we don't pray to the angels, do we? We don't pray to the saints. We don't cry out to Michael the archangel and ask him for assistance. We don't pray to Mary to find grace and help in our time of need. We have none but God in heaven to whom we can turn. 
There is no other person. There is no other place. We look to heaven because that's where God is. And we look to God alone as our refuge and strength. You may have family there. I'm sure you do. I have family there. I have a mother there. I have a father there. But they're not there to render help to me. They can render no help at all. Of course, we know there's no need to look anywhere else. The Lord God is sufficient. And if God is sufficient, then we should be satisfied in Him. But that's the root of many of our problems, isn't it? We're not satisfied fully with God. We find comfort in other objects. We find contentment in other places. There are so many things that draw us away from this real source of comfort and contentment. And yet we know deep down, we know experientially, nothing can satisfy our thirst save Christ. Nothing can gratify the spiritual hunger of our soul save Jesus Christ our Lord. And yet we still have our substitutes. In the world we have all kinds of substitutes, don't we? Virtual reality and replacement therapies. We have our video games and people have their smartphones and we have social network and there we're trying to find peace and contentment and we're going to the wrong places. That's generally characteristic of our day and age, isn't it, in the Western world. People are turning everywhere but heavenward. People are looking in all the wrong places, hoping in all the wrong people. And when that happens, it's no good and no help to us. And God does not get the glory and the praise that He deserves. He's given life to us. Everything we have comes from Him. And we ought, therefore, to acknowledge Him as God alone and as our only hope. We should find our joy and comfort in Him. But even when we look to heaven, here's a question to ask. What are we looking for in heaven? Do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? Have you ever pondered that? Do you want to be in heaven because you want to be free from all your burdens? Or do you want to be in heaven because God is there? Do you want to be in heaven in order to experience freedom from trials? Or because you want to see Jesus face to face? You know this hymn, don't you? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. No, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping. Thy presence, my light. The consuming desire of our hearts ought to be to know God better. To be in His presence and gain our joy and peace from him the consuming desire of the apostle paul was to be with christ life for him was christ and to die therefore was gain he didn't focus on streets of gold he didn't merely look forward to living in a sinless environment as attractive as that is to us 
Heaven for him meant being with Christ. That's what he desired. He said this in Philippians chapter 1, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Everything pales in comparison to Jesus Christ. And that is why we are exhorted in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Colossians, to set our affections on things above, on Christ himself, who is there at the right hand of God. He's our life. We are dead to sins. Our lives are hidden in him. Dear friends, without Jesus Christ, there would be no heaven. The good commentator on the book of Psalms, William Plummer, says, All the saints and angels, all the martyrs, prophets, and apostles, though making a goodly company, could not make a heaven. Isaac Watt penned these words when contemplating Psalm 73, verse 25. Were I in heaven without my God, it would be no joy to me. And whilst this earth is my abode, I long for none but thee. The throne of God and the Lamb is in heaven. And that's all that matters. The redeemed of the Lord will serve and worship Him there forever. But heaven is not in itself a joy. God's presence and communion with Him makes it a joy. Well, you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, don't you? What's the first question? What is the chief end of man? I suppose there's probably a book out there somewhere that explores why they chose that as their first question. If there is, Tell me about it. I don't know anything about it, but I've often contemplated. I wonder how did those divines come to make that the first question? Whatever their deliberations were about it, they couldn't have chose a better one, could they? The most basic question that confronts each of us, and we need to know the answer to this most important question, what is the chief end of man? And the Puritan divines answered well. They gave an answer fully rooted in biblical thought. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You know the biblical foundation for the first part of that. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And even Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. The biblical foundation for the latter part is our text. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We are to enjoy God forever. We're to find our delight and our comfort, our pleasure, our hope in God. Now that's not a self-centered pleasure. It's a God-centered pleasure. We're to enjoy God. We are to enjoy all that He is, all that He reveals Himself to be unto us. 
And oh, there is no one else who can fully satisfy. No other person, no other object can meet our deepest needs. Now, you and I know that to be true, don't we? We are convinced of that in our souls, but do we live by it? So let us consider this question afresh today. Whom have I in heaven but you? Is God enough for you? Are you satisfied in him? Following the question, whom have I in heaven but you, the psalmist makes a resounding affirmation. And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. So we go from heaven, whom have I in heaven to you, we come to earth. There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I have no one other than you in heaven, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So it isn't in heaven alone that we find solace, but on earth. And so what a grand statement to make. And he is speaking, of course, by the voice of experience. If you look at the psalm, he'd look for help in other places. He'd look for joy in other people. He'd look for comfort in other things, possessions. But he found none that fully satisfied the longings of his soul. I never was much of a rock music fan when I was a kid, thankfully. My father forbid us to listen to that stuff in our home, and I'm very grateful to God for that. But I remember this song from a group. They used a double negative, so besides the English, I can't get no satisfaction. And they kept repeating that I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. I can't get no satisfaction. The Rolling Stones, as far as I know, and some of them are still living, never did get satisfaction. Still trying to find it in things on the earth and things of the world. But there's no satisfaction in that. The world can supply us with temporary gratification but nothing of eternal value. The world will give us sinful pleasure, but it knows nothing of everlasting joy. Perhaps you've been down that road before. You've tried everything the world has to offer. You've experimented with this. You've dabbled with just about everything. Did it bring you peace? Did it give you everlasting joy? Well, no, of course it didn't. And if you're going down that road now, we can say to you, it never will. That's because the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Those who come to know God through Jesus Christ have found the ultimate. They've found salvation and forgiveness. They've been reconciled to a holy God. They've been delivered through, uh, from the power of sin and have full satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And all the glitter and glamour that the world once dazzled with us before has lost its charms 
because we know him. So we can sing, O Christ, in thee alone my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. And then the chorus goes like this, Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus, found in thee. Searching or purpose in life cannot be found outside of Jesus Christ. Go where you will, do what you will, see what you will, but none of it has everlasting joy. That can only be found in Christ. True satisfaction is to be found in Him alone. But let me be quick to add that this satisfaction is found in God himself and not in what God gives. We often confuse those two things. We are thankful for the blessing God bestows upon us. We realize that as Paul told Timothy, God gives us richly all things to enjoy, but our joy is to be first and foremost in God, not in the things He gives to us, not in the things He does for us. Yet sadly, many people in our churches today enjoy God's blessings, but they don't joy, enjoy God Himself. The psalmist states quite clearly here that his great desire was for God, that he desired nothing on earth more than he did for God. We know there are Christians that are more interested in the gifts of the Spirit than they are the Spirit. There are Christians that are more interested in the joy of the Lord than they are the Lord who gives us joy. So we must be careful lest we value more highly the things that God gives us more than God himself. God must be loved for who he is, not as a means to gain something else. That's the great failure of the prosperity movement. Listen to something A.W. Tozer once said. Whoever seeks God as a means toward desired ends will not find God. The mighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, will not be one of many treasures, not even the chief of all treasures. He will be all in all or he will be nothing. God will not be used. His mercy and grace are infinite and his patient understanding is beyond measure. But he will not aid men in their selfish striving after personal gain. He will not help men to attain ends which, when attained, usurp the place he by every right should hold in their interests and affections. And yet I would say to you, there is nothing probably more common in the Christian community than what I'm talking about here. Listen to what Calvin said. 
How small is the number of those who keep their affections fixed on God alone. How small is the number of those who keep their affections fixed on God alone. I say to you, let us enjoy the things God gives to us. Family, home, work, friends, church, recreation. But let's never put them in the place of God. What if everything was taken from you? And I mean everything. Your home, your family, your health, your job. Would Christ be adequate for you? Would he be enough? Would he be sufficient? Could you sing, Christ is all I need. You ever sung that before? Christ is all I need. All, all I need. Could you say that? God might take everything away from us someday. And we'll find out whether that's true or not. And if God were to take all that we have away from us, it would be in order to make us cleave to him more dearly. In the end, the psalmist realized that all he needed was God, so he says that all he desires is the Lord. There is nothing on earth. Is there anything on earth that you desire more than God or that's running a close second to God? I was a golfer for many years till these old shoulders and arms couldn't swing a golf club anymore. There were times when I loved golf too much. There are other things I've been involved with that at times I loved too much. And caution flags ought to come up when things of personal interest grow stronger and stronger and our devotion for him grows weaker and weaker. The exclusive desire of the psalmist was to gaze on God, to glory in Him, to rejoice in Him. Dear friends, however unpromising our situation might be on earth, He truly is all we need. He's all we need in heaven. He's all we need on earth. If you look back a few verses, He holds us, He guides us. He receives us into glory. May our joy be in Christ himself. May our delight be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just what he gives to us and does for us. May our desire be Jehovah Jesus alone. In heaven and on earth. Well, after the question and the affirmation comes a statement. Verse 26. My flesh... And my heart fail. But God. I love every time I read in the scriptures. But God. I suppose the greatest was in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. And we have that here. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now note the first picture here is of frailty and mortality, which is very real to us. Flesh and heart failing? What does that signify? Weakness, feebleness. And the psalmist had certainly experienced that throughout his life, and he would do so to the end. Literally, the verb is simply, my flesh and my heart fail. Job had it right when he said, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. But what does a person do? What does a saint do when weak in body and fragile of heart will those who know the Lord lean upon him? What did Peter say? Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties, all your worries, all your troubles on him because he cares for you. That's where we find strength for the journey. That's where we find all we need. It is in the crises of failing mortal body and downcast heart that we turn to the Lord. Despondency and discouragement flee when we rest in the Lord. He's the strength of our hearts. He's our portion forever. Think about that. God is the strength of my heart. The word strength is usually translated rock. Psalm 18, verse 31, For who is God but the Lord, who is a rock, except our God? Psalm 19, 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength. That's what we're accustomed to saying, but it's the word rock, my rock and redeemer. And here, Psalm, or, or Psalm 78, rather, verse 35, They remember that God was their rock the Most High, their Redeemer. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 11 sermons from Psalm 73 in the year 1965. His sermon on this passage, verse 26, was entitled Rock of Ages. And rightly so, God is our rock. Lloyd-Jones said that when the psalmist declared that God was the rock of his heart, he was saying something like this, and I quote, I know that I am in such a position that I can rest quietly and confidently in Him. I know that I can say that even though a day may come when I shall feel the foundations of life shaking beneath me, God will be a rock and He will hold me. He cannot be moved. He cannot be shaken. He is the rock of ages. And wherever I am and whatever may be happening and however my physical frame is behaving and even when the things of earth are passing away, God the rock will sustain me and I shall never be moved. So truly we as His people can say God is the rock of my heart. But not only can we say God is the rock of my heart, we can also say God is my portion forever. 
Now let's remember the man under the inspiration of the Spirit that's writing these words was a Levite. And he is using priestly language here when he speaks of God as being his portion forever. You know, of course, that all the tribes of Israel received a piece of property when they entered the promised land except for the Levites. And what was their inheritance? You know the answer, don't you? It was the Lord himself. The priesthood serving him was their heritage. Deuteronomy 10, verse 9. Joshua chapter 18, verse 7. Their heritage was the Lord himself. Dear friends, that is true of us. God is our portion. He's our treasure. No better portion than that. Nothing can rob us of God. Not even failing flesh and heart. Can death rob us from God who's our portion forever? No, because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Can man take away our portion? No. So what can we desire more than this? What is better than this? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So when ill health comes, we can say it's okay. God is sovereign. He's watching over me. He loves me. When old age comes and we're feeble, we can say it's all right. When death comes, we can sing it as well with my soul. When earthly life slips away, we are but transferred from earth to glory. Hallelujah. We are safe in Jesus Christ. He's our rock and our shield. He's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What else do I need? On his deathbed, Charles Wesley composed a hymn based on Psalm 73, verse 26. And he dictated these words to his wife. In age and feebleness extreme, what shall a sinful word redeem, worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee and drop into eternity. Does that ring true in your heart? Is Christ enough for you? Someone has said, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until he is all you have. Don't wait till you're on your deathbed to find that out. On a day when many deserted Jesus because of some hard things that he taught, John chapter 6, verse 60, Jesus asked his disciples, and I think we ought to hear the pathos in his voice when he asked them the question. Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? 
And I love the impulsive Simon Peter. And he stepped forward on that day. The man who often said the wrong thing at the wrong time, who often was putting his foot in his mouth, but he echoed rightly and profoundly with a question of his own. Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter was in complete agreement with Asaph. There is no other one to whom we can go. We have no one in heaven, no one on earth to whom we may go. Jesus has the words of eternal life and none else. It was later Peter who said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is none beside Jesus. We come to the Father through Jesus by the aid of the Holy Spirit. There is none beside him to whom we can turn. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, we thank you for the sweet word of God that came to us through your servant, Asaph. Oh, we pray that these words that he penned might ring true in our hearts. And if we find that we are getting more joy from things on earth and things in the world than from knowing you and walking with you, oh, convict us deeply tonight and draw us near to you. What does this world have to offer to us? It profit. It's nothing if we gain the whole world and know not Christ. So speak tenderly to our hearts, Spirit of God. Take this word, drive it deep in us. And may we truly know what the chief end of man is. And may that chief end be true of us. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.